Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Uh, We are continuing in our series, Stuck, and this is actually our last sermon in this series. And as we finish out this sermon series, uh, we are going to get ready to go back into the book of John after this. We were in a series called Proclaim. And what we've been saying in this series is there are expectations you had in life. And in addition to that, there were expectations you had when God came into your life. And because God was in your life, you had this assumption that things were going to start moving and things were going to start happening. And now you've come to a place in your life where you don't see things happening. You don't see things moving. Uh, what, we, what we've said earlier is that um, it's like a traffic light where some of us are at a red light. Some of us are at a yellow light and some of us are at a green. Green meaning things are going and moving just as you expected. Your prayers are being answered and you're seeing God move. But some of you are at a yellow light. I mean, things are just going slow. I mean, you're in a relationship and it's okay, but it's nothing like you thought it would be. I mean, you, you have a job, but it's not the job you thought it would be. And then some of you are at a red light. I mean, it's just come to, you've come to the conclusion, law school is just not going to happen. Medical school is just not going to happen. I am not going to be in the theater. I am not going to have a child. Things are just not going to happen in my life. And even though I've prayed certain prayers, God has said no. You see, in many ways, many of us will be at that yellow light or red light and we'll come to the conclusion that things are just not going to go as planned. What do you do? What do you do when life has not met your expectations? What do you do when life with God has not met your expectations? What we're tempted to do is to get jealous. What we're tempted to do is to look at everybody having the life I'm supposed to have. They're having the relationships I'm supposed to have. They have the degree I'm supposed to have. They have the job I'm supposed to have. Everyone is having the life I'm supposed to have. And so you're, you're tempted to feel jealous and you're tempted to covet the life of someone else. You scroll through social media and you see everyone doing the thing that you dreamed of doing, the life that you dreamed you would have. And what's crazy is every now and then you come across someone who's in a more difficult situation than you and they've got more hope than you. One time I was in seminary and I had just had my daughter Faith and I was in a church and at the time that church was just, it was hard to move things on. I had a vision, I had a plan. I just knew what God was gonna do. And I remember thinking to myself, man, my church, I just, I just don't want to be there. And, and then I'm in seminary. I was in seminary part time. And I remember I was sitting on a bench at seminary and a guy named Marty sat next to me and we, we started chopping it up. We started talking and, and I said, Marty, uh, I'm in this church situation right now and it is frustrating and I can't stand it. He said, yo, I'm a pastor too. I said, get out of here. He says, yeah, I'm a pastor too. And my church situation is pretty difficult. I said, tell me about it. He says, my church is about 100 years old. We get about eight people to come every Sunday. You know, it's it's very challenging. I was like, oh, that's much harder than my situation. And I was like, well, do you have a family? He's like, yeah, I got six kids. I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's a lot different. And I said, so, I mean, so, you know, does your wife stay at home? He's like, no, she works. 
I was like, oh, and what do you do? He was like, I work too. I drive a UPS truck. I was like, let me just, because I'm tripping. You drive a UPS truck. You go to school. And he was like, and then he paused. He says, full time. I go to school full time because I can't, I can't afford to go part time. I've got to get this out the way. You go to school full time. Yeah. You have six children. Yes. You drive a UPS truck and you're at a church that's wearing you down. Yes. I says, how are you doing it? He was like, I just trust God. I was like, oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, and, and, and listen, haven't you come across someone who has a more difficult situation than you, but they have more hope? You see, and what, what it is, is you know these people exist because they don't see a contradiction in a good, in a good God, but a difficult life. And, and so part of this is, I want you in this last message in this series, when I mentioned Marty, the one with six kids in seminary, you know, driving a UPS truck at a church that he, that's wearing him down, you can be like him. In fact, that's God's intentions for your life to be like him. There is someone you've looked up to because of their faith. You can be like them. There is someone who has persevered and endured. You can be like them. You can be that person. In fact, that's God's intention for your life to be the person that people look at their authentic faith and go, how did you make it through? And you go, I just trusted God. That's what's God's intention for your life. And that's who you can be. And if you stay faithful, that's who you will be. Listen to me. That's who you will be if you stay faithful. Look at the book of James chapter one with me, because today we are going to learn about the essence of trials and how to persevere in them. And James is going to teach us something, because what we've got to understand is that the New Testament authors they were just like that. They didn't see a contradiction between a, a good God and a difficult life. They, they, they expected hard times to come and they persevered and they shrugged their shoulders and they trusted God. And James is going to teach us something about that. In James chapter one, verse one, there is something very pivotal right in this first verse that you have to understand about the nature of loving and knowing God and persevering. James chapter one, verse one it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nestled in that verse is something powerful you have to understand. You see, James, sometimes you'll see ver uh, names in the Bible and you'll just think they're the same people. But in the New Testament, there's a, a James and a John, you know, that, that was a disciple of Jesus. This is a different James. This James is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his brother. And it is noted histor uh, historically that it's his younger brother. And you know why we don't see him? We don't see him in the, the New Testament up until this point. We don't see him at the cross. We don't see him uh, uh, hanging out with his brother. We don't see him as a disciple. When Jesus is up on the cross and he says to, to uh, John, take care of my mother, he has to have John take care of his mother because James wasn't there. James had, and sometimes I think one of the reasons why James tells us to take care of widows and orphans because he didn't take care of his own mama who was a widow, but that's another time. But listen, what he does is he, he's not around and many believe the reason why he wasn't around because he didn't believe in his brother. Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand. When I see my cousin who got a PhD and they come in there and they're like, hey, I'm not calling you doctor. I'm calling you nook nook because that's what we've called you your whole life. I'm not changing up just because you got a title now and you got a degree. I'm not 
changing up just because you have a title. Now, understand, he not only references his brother as the Lord, but you have to understand when he says he's the Lord, he's saying he's my Lord. He's saying he's the head of my life. Now, what we understand is the only reason why he switched up was because of the resurrection. You see, when, his, when he, he, was, he, was, he was big brother Jesus going around saying crazy stuff, getting killed. But when he rose on the third day, he called him Lord. There's implications. See, the first verse has an implication to it. He, he calls him Lord. When you say that Jesus is Lord, many of you may that Jesus, Jesus might be a good advisor. He might be even a good friend. He might be a good, he might give you good insight. You may even see him as a counselor, but it hits different when you call him Lord. You see, in saying Jesus is Lord, you are saying that Jesus has authority over all things in life and my life. And it is at this point we understand James believed. There just came a point where he's like, I can't believe this knucklehead that was doing. This is this is my brother is the Lord. All right. I guess you're going to tell me what to do now. So I bowed. All right. I mean, at some point he didn't let his mind run away, get run away with all trying to figure everything out. He just said before anything else, this is the Lord. This is the leader you have. And he has authority over all things. You are God. You see, the beginning of this chapter is an understanding that you have to see him as the leader, the head of your life the Lord of your life, and not just of your life. He has authority over all things. It's belief. It's belief. What do you believe? And what do you believe about Jesus? We're going to talk about trials, but the first thing we have to question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Is he Lord? And he's not only is he the Lord over life, is he the Lord of your life? All right, so, so he, he says that. Now, then James says in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various or meet trials of various kinds. It's interesting the way that that's rendered. It says there's a variety of trials, that there's all types of genres of trials. There's health trials, there's job trials, there's people trials, there's plan trials, there's all types of trials. There's trials you might be having because of dreams that you're having. There's trials you might be having because of the relationships that you have or don't have. There's all types of trials and all of us experience a different variety, a different uh, mixture of trials. And what he says is, count it all joy. Now, let me tell you something. No one would give you this advice. No counselor would tell you this because this is not realistic. At, at, its, at its core, this is not realistic. Because when you read this for what it looks like it's saying, it looks like it's saying, the minute I face adversity, I should just be happy about it. Like you go to the doctor's office and they say you have cancer and you treat it like a birthday party. You're like, oh snap, count it all joy, he said. And you're supposed to act like you're happy about bad times. You see, that's, that's precisely what he's not saying. The first word in verse two is what you should first look at. And it's that word count. Well, when he says count, he's saying consider, think about, contemplate. You see, it is only in light of knowing that the Lord Jesus is in control and he is good and in authority over all things, then you can consider 
that this trial is the source of something ultimately good. That because God is good and he is in control. And what James is saying is, I want you to consider a different way of looking at adversity. You see, the reality is, is that it's not that you, you, you know, you come to a trial and you get excited and happy. When you've lost your job and you're sitting in your car or you're on the train and you're sitting there in tears and you're like, I, I just, 2020, just, I cannot believe this has happened. And you're walking to your apartment and you are just trying to make it up the steps and you get into your apartment finally and you sit down and you just let go. The Bible is not saying don't grieve. As you wiped away those tears, as you get up, look what he says, consider. As you're, as you're, as you're trying to figure out what's happening, listen, he's saying part of what you have to do is consider God is doing something. As you think through and as you weep and as you grieve, consider this as a part of your contemplation that God is on the move, that God is going to use this. And he says now, look what he says in verse three, for, you know, you see, this is belief. He says, there's something you've got to believe. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord. And then you've got to believe something about trials. This is what he wants you to count. This is what he wants you to consider. And this is why joy would be produced. Verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The, the testing of your faith. You see, trials test our confidence in God. That's its purpose. When you're in a trial, your heart is on trial. When you're in a trial, you put God on trial. And what you are wondering is, can God redeem, use, work through undeserved, unavoidable, circumstantial issues and trials in our lives? Is he going to work through it? And that trial is a test of your faith. Do you believe? Do you trust? And every set of circumstances God puts us in that is uncomfortable is a test of our faith. And if God uses trials as tests, then we should expect the unexpected. And we should see this as a part of our faith, that this comes as a part of knowing God. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What, what, what Peter says, and now Peter was talking to people being persecuted and they were about to get eaten by lions. So I just want you to know the context is a little different, but understand Peter is saying, don't be surprised. And part of the challenge we have is that many times as believers, we get into a trial that is so, it has so much variety to it. It's so strange. It's so weird. Like, you're like, where is this coming from? That it's not that Peter is saying you'll be surprised sometimes, but it is that oftentimes we stay in a state of shock so long that we can't move to a place of faith. You, you sit there going, I can't believe this is me. I can't believe this happened. I can't, I, can you believe it? I've been good. I've, I've been reading, praying. I've been, I go to church, you know, and you start telling yourself, I deserve something different. And this trials don't come because you deserve them or don't deserve them. Trials come because God uses them in your life. And he's going to use trials in all of our lives. 
God uses trials to test our faith. Now, what you have to understand is God values persevering faith. Moreover, we value persevering faith. What I'm saying is the kind of faith that honors God the most is not the faith that always gets a yes from God. It's the faith that got an answer, no, but they continue to endure anyway. And that's the kind of faith that honors God, but it also impresses you. Yes, you, you think it's amazing when someone, you know, created a job and they did incredible things and they worked through stuff. But you look up and you're like, but you have everything. You, you have everything given to you. I mean, your, your life is simple, but it's the person that they, you saw everything happen against them. You saw them endure. You saw them trust. And it blows you away. You are impressed by enduring faith. And God is honored by it. As you persevere, this will develop you. And it will, it will cause you to deepen your trust in God. God is using trials. It honors him. Now, that is what God values, and that's what we value. But even though we value the person sitting next to us, you, you, yeah, you got six kids? Wow. You, you, you got a UPS job? Like, we're blown away and impressed by it. We wouldn't, we don't want that, though. Like, trials produce something, got it. But I don't want your trial. In fact, I would never even choose a trial for you. I don't think I would choose a trial for anybody. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have chosen for that person to betray you the way they did. I would not have chosen for the way that your parents mishandled your affections growing up. I wouldn't have chosen for that roommate to begin to disrespect you like that. I wouldn't have chosen that job to just all of a sudden come from underneath you and have all these problems. I wouldn't have chosen that for you. And you know what? You wouldn't choose trials for me. You wouldn't wish that on me. I wouldn't choose trials and you wouldn't choose trials. But you know who chooses trials? God. And God chooses trials for you to trust him. He chooses trials. And I wouldn't ever think, I wouldn't think that, but God thinks it. And God is the one we have to believe. That's why it starts with belief. Because you and I would never choose trials, but God chooses trials and he chooses trials so that we can trust him. And so what he deepens in our understanding is that there's something we have to do. There, there's something we gain in the, in the midst of trials. He says in, in verse four, and let steadfastness, that's perseverance, that's you keep continuing to go on, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Let it have its full effect. Let steadfastness finish its work. Let it complete that which God intended it to complete in you. What James, I believe, is saying is let God finish his work. That trial is there because he has a work he wants to do. Now, why does, why does James say, let him do it? Let steadfastness have its full effect. You know why he says that? Because we want to run. Because we want to quit. 
You don't wanna finish that conflict with that person. You wanna walk away. You don't wanna talk to that person anymore. You just wanna give up on the conversation. You, you, you want to cheat. You want to run. You want to quit. You wanna move as far away from the trial as possible. And so you don't wanna deal with those people. You don't wanna deal with those people at that job. You don't have to endure. And so we drink, we get upset, we just bury our lives away. And we, that's why he says, let steadfastness have its full effect because we quit, we run, we walk away. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. That's why this message is essential. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. The place of unresolved tension in your life is the primary place where God wants to work. The place of unresolved tension is the primary place where God wants to work. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? People are like, people see comfort, they see a green light, and someone told you God is only in the green light. And so you just run, and so you run, and some people will even say, God told me, because you thought that God was the God of all comfort, which he is, but he is the God that uses trials. And so God wants you to stay right there in that trial and work out the tension. In fact, run to the tension. The place of unresolved tension is where God is working primarily because he's working out your anger, he's working out your character, he's making you look like Jesus. He's not making you look like your mama, he's not making you look like your friends, he's not making you look like the person you look at at Instagram all the time because their character is so cool and they're so funny. He's not trying to make you look like them. He's trying to make you look like somebody that went down a Calvary Road with a cross on their back for the joy that's set before them. You see, it's very careful who you fix your eyes on. Unresolved tension is the place God was trying to work. That's faith's gymnasium, tension. That's where we get our muscles, our, our spiritual muscles in the problem when you don't leave the room, when you follow up in the conversation, when you stick in there and you keep talking it out and it takes a day, it takes a month, it takes a week, it takes a year, it takes a whole season of your life, but in the end, God will give you something that no man can give you. He'll give you the gift of more faith, more trust. You see, that is where we choose to trust and persevere. Now, I want to be sensitive because I realize that what I'm saying is not simple. So many people abandon the church and the faith because something bad happened. Uh, when I first started in ministry, we had a Bible study in Durham, North Carolina. And the, the host home that we were in, the woman was pregnant and she announced it to the Bible study. At the time I was 26 years old, Natasha and I hadn't been pregnant, so we just were excited. And then a few months later, she said she had a miscarriage. Later on that year, she was pregnant. A few months later, she had a miscarriage. Seven times. It happened to her seven times. I don't know, I'm 26, I'm like, well, you know, God is good. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to put a bow on it. And she was just sitting there crying. 
And then they come back and they said, well, we're going we're gonna to adopt. And as she's saying adopt, the tears start to flow and she's just crying. And I said, tell me what's up. She says, it, it's good. But she said, Pastor James, adoption feels like failure. I wanted my own child. She says, it's hard to believe now. You see, so I understand I'm not saying easy things. Some people want to leave God because of that. There are people who have left the church. Why? Because you were abused in church. People, people you tried to trust, they lied about you. The most trustworthy people that you thought you could depend on, they started lying about you. You, you, you got pregnant and you thought you could use the church as a refuge. It ended up being the last place you wanted to be. And the people who you should be able to get a hug from, they distance themselves from you. So I want to be sensitive to the fact I'm not talking about easy things. I'm talking about a variety of trials that break your heart. And yet, look what he says. Back to verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Listen, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That, the way that it says it in the Greek, is, it means no deficiency, no coming up short. It means that you'll be everything you were intended to be. Do you understand what he's saying there? When he says perfect, he's essentially saying mature, mature and complete. Everything, like if, if, if you know, like one day you see a kid and you see he got big feet, you're like, you're going to be tall. And then when you see him 10 years later, you're like, you're six, eight, you're everything we thought you'd be right there. You, you are fully mature, fully complete. Well, 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 well God sees you as someone who will mature and be complete, but the way that you will be complete is by having steadfastness have its full effect. It is by maturing, persevering through, through maturing through the process. That's how you become complete. And I just want to make it clear. I know you're single. I know you keep calling a person you shouldn't call. You keep going back to them. I get it but a husband nor a wife will complete you. I know you've gone to, you got your degree. I know you studied. I know you've prayed about it. I know you fasted. I know you've trusted God. I know you memorized verses. I know you ran around the track, listening to a gospel album. You memorize a song and you're like, I'm, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna trust you. But that job will not complete you. No matter how much you want it to be, everything you want it to be. I know, I know you long to have children one day, but that child will not complete you. That child will probably be the very trial, the next trial in your life. I know, I know, I know you, you, you've been working out and I know you want a new body, and, but that new body won't complete you. New things were never God's intention to be the thing that completes you. Trials, that's what completes you. If you want to be everything that God has intended you to be, you will go through trials and trust God through trials. There's something about perseverance that makes people more honest. There's something about perseverance that makes people humble, more authentic, deeper in worship. There's something about people who have this steely trust in him. 
And there's something distracting, almost like leaves a sour taste in your mouth. When you meet Christians and they never talk about problems, you know what I'm talking about? You know, they, 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 I never, I always, oh, I never do that, but I always read my Bible. I ne- oh, I would never, but I always, and I would never. And you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you get a little closer and you're like, mm-mm. Nah, I don't want that. There, there's something inauthentic about it. But then one day, you meet one of them. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> Come, come look at this. Girl, what is it? It's an authentic Christian. Oh my gosh. Would you look at that? Would you look at that? They have a confidence in God. And you can tell they haven't just been in the valley of shadow of death. They hung out there for a little while. And, 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 and they, I mean, they, 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 they might cuss a little bit. Amen. I mean, they, they might, they might, they might drink a little bit. What I'm saying is that they're a little rough around the edges, but, but, but they're honest and they're humble and you can tell God has brought them through something that can be you. And that will be you if you trust him through trials. And so, in, in that James recognizes how hard this is, James says in verse, one, in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is a promise. But what you have to understand is that God wants us to ask for wisdom But in times of tension, you don't want to ask for wisdom. You want relief. You want the situation to change. You want things to get better. You don't don't want to ask for wisdom. But James says, ask for wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to see the current circumstances within a broader context. So it would be as if seeing something with the 80,000 foot view It would be seeing something in a grander perspective and a bigger perspective. Wisdom is the ability to see something greater because I am only focused on my pain. Wisdom sees life in a grander context. Every parent understands the power of this kind of wisdom. Kids tend to think their world is coming to an end in all types of ways. I mean, I've literally had like my daughters come to my room in the morning, like, <laughs> come here, baby. What? What happened? She's like, my, my stretchy pants. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with them? Like, I was going to wear them with my outfit. <laughs> I got pictures today. <laughs> okay. It's all right. We can go and get some other. No, you don't understand. Okay, you hug her. Like, go, go back to your room. We'll, we'll find some more pants. And then me and my wife go. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! Oh gosh! This ain't nothing, girl. You gonna be all right, right? <laughs> if my daughter 
could see from the standpoint of a 43-year-old, she would know that she could make it through it. What she needs is a perspective of someone wiser and greater. She needs to see the situation as I see it. And so what we need to ask God is, God, give me the ability to see my boss the way you see them, to see my roommate the way you see them, to see my family the way you see it, because I only see the pain that they're giving me. I need to see them the way you see them. I need wisdom and I need to trust you for wisdom. Give me wisdom to see as you see. I want to see this situation as you see it. And so the only way that we make it is we endure to mature. We endure to mature. It is not, listen, it is not Bible memory verses. It is not going to the next conference. It's not reading the next book. You endure to mature. The pathway to maturity is endurance and trusting God. And as we close, here's what I want you to pray this week. I believe we have a slide up with it. Some of you need to go back on this message and take a screenshot of this slide. Some of you need to to hear this. Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this, this person, this pain, this problem. I believe you will use this until you choose to remove this. Grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say. And I'm going to ask that this week you would take this verse and you place it someplace very visible. And I want you to say it out loud regularly until it seeps into the, not just into the way that you see that situations, but the way that you see situations and circumstances. And I pray that God would give you a deeper faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask right now, help us to see our situation the way you see it. Help us to endure, to mature. Help us, God. Give us your wisdom. Give us your wisdom, God. Give us your strength. We pray that as we are stuck, as we are at a red light and yellow light, give us the strength, God, to make it through. And we know you are maturing us. So let me run to the tension. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.